This is Broccoli. Content that's good for you. In this episode, we'll be discussing sexual assault and rape, which some listeners might find triggering. Welcome to 2020. New year, new you. It's only been two weeks since we celebrated the new year, but it feels like so much has happened already. I, for one, tried to go on a digital detox over Christmas, but that lasted a whole three days before I gave up and re-downloaded Instagram again. Can life really go on if you don't see everyone's 10-year transformations? Let me fill you in on what's happening in the world, though. The British monarchy seems to be falling apart in front of our very own eyes after Prince Harry and Meghan Markle announced Mexit. Harvey Weinstein's trial has finally begun and singer Grimes and Elon Musk are having a baby. Let's hope they don't name it something ridiculous like iRobot. It's been a quieter week in politics, but a few things have been moving along. The Labour leadership race has begun, MPs have given a final backing on the Brexit withdrawal agreement bill, and A&E waiting times have hit worse levels on record. Your New Year's resolution might have been to have less drama in your life, but it's certainly not the case for Stormzy or Wiley. Two of the biggest names in grime have started the decade with some serious beef. What seemed like a petty Twitter argument has turned into a full-scale grime war. They've been clawing away at each other with daily diss tracks, and no one knows when it's going to stop. I wonder at what point Wiley's going to mention Stormzy's secret love child, Ala Pichetti. Before you get excited, that was a joke. Award season is upon us. Ricky Gervais' Golden Globe speech left people divided. Some loved his brutal honesty, while others criticised him for being a hypocrite. BAFTAs came under fire for the lack of diversity in the nominations. Margot Robbie received two nominations in the same category, along with three other white women. Are some things ever going to change? This is Your Broccoli Weekly. I'm your host, Diora. In today's episode, we'll be discussing Harry and Meghan's split from the royals, Stormzy and Wiley's beef, and the complex story of the recent Cyprus rape case involving a British citizen. Today, I'm joined by broadcast journalist and community engagement consultant Claire Clotty, as well as music and culture writer Jesse Bernard. This week, a British teenager who claimed she was raped by 12 Israeli tourists all the way back in July 2019 has been found guilty of lying. The 19-year-old was charged with public mischief after signing a retraction statement just days later. She was given a four-month suspended jail sentence in Cyprus. She told the court she had begun a holiday romance with a 21-year-old Israeli man called Sam, who was staying at the same hotel with friends. The court heard that she had sex with Sam on two nights prior to the attack, when his friends were in the room and filmed them on their phones. On the third night, she claimed the same group of men, all aged between 15 and 22, burst into the room, held her down and raped her. Medical examiners found bruises and scratches all over her body. The next day, police swooped in and arrested all 12 Israelis on suspicion of rape. The woman was subjected to eight hours of unrecorded questioning by detectives without a lawyer present and signed a statement retracting her claim. Police then charged her with giving a false statement over an imaginary offence. Michael Polak, the teenager's lawyer, said that she may have retracted her claims because she was suffering from PTSD. All 12 Israeli men were released without charge and flew home to Israel. 
The woman pleaded not guilty to making false allegations on the 27th of August. Her trial officially began on the 2nd of October. None of the 12 accused men were called to give evidence at trial. Judge Papathanasio told the teenager he was giving her a second chance. He said, I admit I have been troubled over this. All the evidence shows that she had lied and prevented the police from doing other serious jobs. Her psychological state, her youth, that she had been away from her family, her friends and academic studies this year. This has led me to decide to give her a second chance and suspend the sentence for three years. The case and verdict has sparked international outrage. It's prompted many human rights advocates to speak out about the mistreatment of the young woman and the fairness of the trial. So firstly, we're going to talk about the case of a British woman who has been convicted of lying about gang rape in Cyprus. Claire, are you surprised by this outcome? I'm not surprised at all. You know, you see Ayanapa come up, you see a young woman coming forward against 12 men. It's one woman's word against 12 men. Ayanapa associated with that kind of wild, wacky lifestyle. Where was her mum? What was she doing in this room with 12 guys? She surely must have known what happened. The fact that the length of time that was given to investigate what actually happened was minuscule, really. And in fact, after 10 days, after being pressurised in a country that's not yours, speaking to officials, officers who probably don't speak, you know, English as well as you do. And, you know, all of that confusion going on and then retracting your statement. And actually, it's not unusual for women to retract statements. um, And they're not even under pressure in the same way that this young lady was. And then, you know, I I don't know when when a woman comes up, as I said, against men, there's always that big challenge. But there was... She was outnumbered. Also, what's really shocking is that she was essentially prisoned for a month. And the boys, they got sent home in about a week. Yeah, really actually quite disturbing. I've been to Ayanapa. I went to Ayanapa when I was 18, several years ago. And it was wild and it was fun and it was free. But we knew that you didn't mess with the police out there. The police was serious. Everyone said, don't drive without a license. Always wear your helmet. Just You just didn't mess with them. We saw police fight in groups of young people, fighting groups of young women. So that's more the reason why I'm not surprised that that was the outcome in Ayanapa. And I'm not surprised that they put her in prison because I knew a guy the first day that he got there in Ayanapa, this was in 2000, he was in prison until the day he left. And there was just no if, ands, buts, maybes. Wow. Wow. That is really shocking. Jesse. so the investigation was over in just 12 days. How can a thorough investigation into an alleged rape with 12 perpetrators be carried out in such a short space of time? Do you think the speed showed that they were not taking it seriously? Definitely. I think with something that high profile and the media made it high profile as well, a lot of public pressure as well to kind of conclude an investigation that traumatic and that kind of complex in 12 days. I don't think any of the investigating parties really had any care to pursue the truth. They didn't have the duty of care towards the victim either. You both mentioned that you've been to Cyprus before you went to like a Ayanapa holiday. It's like baptism of fire, yeah, isn't it? It's yeah. like, you know, you finish, you know, this is your first. That was mm-hmm. my first independent holiday of yeah. my parents, of my family. And it was just a group of girls, 12 of us. Um, and it, it was great. It was great. But um, You see a lot out there. Yes, and you do. Yeah. So I went to Zanti and then I went to Ayanapa. And then Zanti was, it was violent as well. Like there were times when any hint of trouble, you just avoided it because it could go left very quickly. It could be with a group of other people from 
from the UK, from somewhere else in Europe, or it could be with kind of the police who'd often work hand in hand with a lot of club and bar owners as well. And that creates an issue in itself. And then obviously there's a racial element that comes into play and all of that. So those environments do breed a lot of that kind of um, violence and toxicity that happens out there. Absolutely. And I think it's very interesting that this case has been sidelined so quickly because it's almost as though if they admit that something of this scale could happen so easily, it might almost be like a domino effect that it might be admitting that, wait, we have a serious problem here because we're breeding this kind of activity. For me, thinking back about my experience Mm. going there, I think that this possibly has happened before and it's just quick get it out the door mm. um this is not new this is this definitely doesn't feel new and thinking back to i, I don't yeah. know about you jesse but it, it, things yeah, could have yeah, happened yeah, and you yeah. wouldn't have gone to the police because you know that they weren't necessarily happily with you being there it's like yeah. that club 18 to 30 mm-hmm. culture brits abroad are here they've come to behave bad that was the assumption before you even spoke to anyone what role do you think toxic masculinity had to play in this entire situation I mean even before toxic masculinity I think there's a massive issue here about consent right Mm. and educating both women and men and I think that parents aren't doing a very good job at making sure that their boys understand what consent means and that they need to get consent if they want to you know have a massive orgy that's up to them but make sure you get consent and for me in this situation there's been no investigation as to what consent looked like in the scenario. I don't want to suggest that the men did it or that they didn't do it, but there's not enough evidence to to kind of explore everything before we start going, oh, well, you know, the boys got off scotch-free and it's all good, you Mm. know? Exactly. And also, because the girl previously had a relationship with one of the men called Sam, you know, she slept with him a few nights before. It seems like people have been really focusing on this detail and saying, oh, well, you know, well, she slept with him before, so she probably wanted it. And it's just, again, it goes back to that issue of consent. Just because she slept with him on a few nights doesn't mean that she then agreed to whatever happened. Again, we need to be careful about the messages that we put out there. You know, if I decide that I don't want to eat meat anymore, but I ate meat in the past, doesn't mean that I'm naturally going to want to eat meat again. Mm. And there just wasn't enough time, effort, energy, focus on getting the facts, the details of the situation. Classic example of a woman speaks up against men and her story is shut down really, really quickly. Just because she said yes on one occasion doesn't mean that she's not entitled to say no on another occasion. Also, the other detail that people seem to be glossing over is the fact that she was filmed without her permission on a few of those nights. Well, that's, again, an issue of consent. And somehow that's been missed by the judge. Yeah, because the other thing that is really weird is that they report that there was a young man under the age of 16. Now, the age of consent in Israel and Cyprus is 16. So if a 15-year-old is filmed um, in the physical act and that video is shared, then you're sharing in decent images of a minor. And so there's so much more to explore and making sure that all the evidence captured on the videos is looked at. But it doesn't sound like it was. Do you think we have a long way to go until we at least start attempting to believe women. Rape convictions are already so low. Do you think this will further impact how many women come forward? Absolutely. But I think 
lots of people don't want to come forward and discuss rape in the same way incest. Mm. It's just there are a couple of taboo situations that are really traumatic. People don't really feel comfortable talking about it in mm. the first place. So when a situation like this does come to the forefront, to the surface, the limelight, people have a bit of a conversation and they see it shut down so quickly, everyone just retracts back and they're like, right, this is not a safe zone yet. Mm. And I think we've got a way to go before we can openly have these conversations. And this was all public as well. This wasn't done behind closed doors. So the entire country was aware that this was happening. And to have your traumatic experience played out like that and treated like that publicly is another thing you've got to then deal with. So I think it will have an impact on kind of how kind of rape cases in the future and high profile rape cases are treated and considered. After seeing how this has played out, if I was a victim, I would I wouldn't feel confident in going to the police and reporting it. Even before this, I like I wouldn't be. So like this instance doesn't encourage people to do that anyway. The really horrific thing about this is that she hasn't been named by the press, but her name has been leaked on social media. Mm. Yeah. And it's, my God, you know, you've got this ordeal. You've been stuck in prison in Cyprus for a month. You weren't allowed to speak to your mother the whole time. You're being accused of lying about something that you're probably you might not be lying about. And then to have your name put out there. Wow, what a horrific six months this girl has had. Yeah, it's it's difficult to say um, whether she's going to get the support she needs because it sounds like she's come back to the UK and she's hell-bent on clearing her name, which means she's mm. going to come out in the public eye anyway. But the fact that this case may be escalated uh, to the European Court of Human Rights... Details are going to be leaked, but she, she's she got to have some support behind her to really, you know, win this case or fight this case if she's going to pursue it. The good thing is UK officials have said that they'll be treating her as a victim of sexual assault, which hopefully means that she'll at least be able to get some more support here than she did while she was out in Cyprus. There's also been another big rape case in the news this week. Britain's most prolific rapist, Reynard Sanaga, has been convicted of 136 rapes and sexual offences against 48 young men over two and a half years. But police believe he may have assaulted at least 195 men over a longer period. Do you think it's surprising that Britain's most prolific rapist is someone who has sexually abused men? I just think it's interesting that this is a scenario that has been brought to light as the biggest case. I'm not undermining or underestimating the fact that there are lots of um, cases of abuse mm. against men that go unrecorded, undetected, uninvestigated. You do hear about these sorts of cases less, but I think there probably is a case of men coming forward less frequently. Jesse, what do you think about that? Why do you think that would be? A variety of reasons, and a lot of them to do with kind of masculinity and those perceived ideas of masculinity and what a man should be in this country and in, in this society and being a victim of something um, particularly of a sexual assault or anything like that isn't deemed manly or what it's considered to be a man so then coming forward and speaking about that experience which speaking and being open about things for, for men again is one of those things which isn't kind of expected of us to come forward and be open is one thing but to come forward and be open about a very traumatic experience that's happened to you and quite and something that is quite kind of dehumanising as well isn't something that is wired into us. Also, you have to bear in mind the victims of this as well, and they need to be considered. And that's where the conversation becomes more complex. And that's why kind of probably the media isn't the best place for this conversation to be had, because the media aren't equipped to 
we've we've seen how the media to are equipped to, to, yeah, to deal with the layers of this. So this is where you, you should have charities and various organisations speaking about this and actually the media should be going to them and getting their insight and expertise because this is a very fragile. You mentioned on the victims there. Do you think a case as big as this will encourage more men to come forward? I hope it really encourages parents, people who work with um, men in supporting capacities to do a better job at educating men as well as women or boys as well as girls about the risks and how to better protect themselves, what services to go to if they need support, um, what's right from wrong, what's, you know, Mm -hmm. I I think it's it's a bit of a community learning thing here Mm -hmm. rather than putting all the responsibility on a victim to come forward and, you know, change things. Set up the framework Mm -hmm. for them to feel more comfortable to come forward about instances like this. Yeah. Next up, Harry and Meghan. Prince Harry, the most popular royal after the Queen, and his American wife, Meghan, issuing what amounts to a declaration of independence. So, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, have said in a statement that they intend to step back as senior royals and work to become financially independent. The mood at Buckingham Palace is understood to be one of disappointment, And it's been reported that senior royals have been hurt by the announcement. It turns out the couple didn't even consult the palace when they issued their statement. Over Christmas, the couple took a six-week break away from the family in Canada with their son Archie, which to me suggests has been a real rift within the royal family. There's so much to unpack here. Obviously, we know that Meghan was being treated terribly by the press. Harry himself spoke out about the treatment of his wife by the press, and Meghan has taken legal action against the Mail on Sunday. Did you expect them to basically disown the royal family this quickly? No way. (laughs) I knew Meghan was going to have a tough time. I knew Harry was going to have a tough time. Harry's always had a tough time, really, uh, you know, since, you know, the passing of his mum. But I didn't think it would be this quick. This is rapid. This is real rapid. But good for them. Good for them. I think, you know, as everyone else in society is embracing modern families or we're forced to embrace modern families and modern ways of living, it's about time that, you know, the the royals had to flex as well. And actually, it's not new. (laughs) It's just that Harry is one of our faves and Harry is one of our faves for that exact reason. He's a modern man. He's able to stand up for his own values and beliefs. Do you think they'll be able to sustain themselves financially, though? Because they said they want financial independence. See, I think there's a lot more to explore here. We don't know all the details. I think lots of people making lots of assumptions. They said they want to step down. They didn't say that they wanted to stop. They still want to remain um, involved in charitable causes. Um, Lots of criticism about them and their carbon footprint. When they're doing their world tours, they're on planes. So what the hell are you chatting about? You know, we don't know the dynamic. We don't understand how it's going to work. They probably don't either. So we're just all reacting on a basis of an assumption. Exactly. And I think they were working really hard on their charity last year. From a youth engagement point of view, they are doing amazing things, you know. So give them some time, you know. (laughs) Hopefully they won't just abandon that. I don't think they will. So do you think it's feasible for Meghan to go back to her acting career? Do you think that might happen? I don't know. It's, um, I mean, I, I didn't really kind of follow much of the royal family um, just from because I'm not really a royalist like that. I'm not either, by the way. <laughs> yeah. But I think, I mean, it's possible. Like, I don't know how much being part of that kind of institution would impact your options in going back into Hollywood or acting or whatever. It may not have that much of an impact. It may even boost her profile. It may kind of 
less than that. Who knows? Um, I, I can't say just because yeah. it's still very much early days. Yeah, yeah, well, you got YouTube now, so yeah. she could be independent. You know, she could <laughs> write start, stuff they, on they, Netflix. I mean, they can start a YouTube channel together. Like. Exactly. Wow, that would be so fun. <laughs> it would be amazing. And I bet lots of people, even their haters, mm-hmm. all the trolls would subscribe. They'd pay to watch they'd, it. They'd make a killing off YouTube. Mm. Imagine yeah. that. I'd watch. Harry and Meghan <laughs> in 2020 launching a YouTube channel. Why not? Mm. Why not? We, I mean... As I said, modern times, like, oh, let's yeah. keep it moving. I wouldn't be surprised if reality TV is something that they ended up doing. Just because uh, we're, in that, we're in that world where the royal family doesn't have as much, well, I mean, they do have still have some importance to some British people, but they don't carry as much significance. And it's mostly just symbolism now. I think around the world, um, people still want to hold on to this fairy tale, like, you know, the Sleeping Beauty, the princesses, the queens, the castles. It's all kind but of that, mystical. That's the, but that's the thing. It's just fairy tale at the end of the day. I think the reality of the royal family is very much different. And I think particularly when you look at kind of the former Commonwealth countries, the idea of the royal family starts to become very political and actually very dark. This whole thing is actually creating a bigger question. What is the need for the royal family in 2020? Like, why does this institution still exist? Why did Meghan even marry into such an institution? Knowing what this institution has been responsible for um, in Africa and the Caribbean and in Asia as well. Yeah, but you, it's, yeah. it's so difficult because... Harry isn't the institution. He is just one man. And he was she's just born into it. Yes. And, and they say yeah. that you marry another person's family, sort of, kind of, yeah. ish. But actually, you know, many situations, we don't agree with our parents, you I, know. Yeah, I get that. But they haven't decided to give up all the wealth and the titles that come with that. So it's like... They're okay, keeping the house. Yeah, exactly. So they're keeping the house and all of that wealth is generated off the back of generations of slavery and colonialism and all sorts so it's almost like okay they want to keep the benefits of something bad but then they don't want the rest that comes with that which, which is the media pressure or the attention and you or can't, the racism and let's, let's, it, is this the racism yeah, 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 they don't yeah, want yeah, yeah it's the racism that they don't want which which shouldn't be tolerated but also the royal family is a racist institution let's put it like that and i don't i'm not trying to be kind of controversial but just going looking at the history of the royal family it's hard to say otherwise how much say do they have, right? And we don't know what mm. relationships have broken down. We know some relationships have broken down, but it might be daddy going, daddy Charlie going, no, son, we need you in this family yeah. and you've got to have somewhere <laughs> to stay when you come over here. You know, so we don't know yeah, the yeah, details. We, yeah, we don't know. Yeah, we don't know the details. But that's the thing. Like, how hard is it to distance yourself from the royal family? I mean, they've tried it. We don't know what's going to happen next. Someone's got to be bold enough to take that risk. And Harry seems like the only one in the family that's ever really been kind of leaning towards that way anyway. Like, he's always kind of been the kind of black sheep of the family, like, kind of since he was a kid. I do think that if they think that they can have a normal... Well, what's normal? Like, mm. You can't really define normal. But if they think that they can have an, a life that is completely isolated from, uh, you know, the press, I think, you know, yeah. they're yeah. a bit that's disillusioned a, a there. Well, we were talking about YouTube 2020, Harry and Meghan, but they're trying to step away from the cameras, but they're moving to potentially the US or Canada. Is the press going to find them there? Possibly. Are they going to get hounded there? Possibly. And I, I think it's likely that people are always going to be intrigued mm-hmm. and, and chase after their story. And the more they hide away, the more intrigued yeah. people are going to have. But it's not impossible. You just have to think of Sade, like massive yeah. soul legend. I'm, I would love to know so much more about her. 
but she decided to live her mm-hmm. life almost like, like like a recluse. That's, yeah. That was her choice. And she's managed to sustain, She's a, as far as I know, she's alive and well. People have been talking about how Meghan, you know, she's this force that's come in and dismantled the monarchy. But that's not really what's happened. I feel like people put a lot of pressure on her. And she's just she's just trying to live her life. She's just got married. She's got a child and she's trying to be normal. But mm. How can you be normal in such circumstances? They're damned if they do and damned if they don't. That's right. Um mm. Yeah, I found this really fascinating because when Meghan and Harry first got married, you know, their harshest critics felt like they had ownership over them because, oh, you know, well, they're the royals and that means that they're funded by taxpayers' money. Now that they've denounced this money, you know, they're getting rid of it and they're saying we don't want this taxpayers' money anymore, people like Piers Morgan, I'm sorry to mention his name, (laughs) seem to be getting really angry. And I think that's because he probably feels like there's no longer an actual excuse for all this vitriol. He's been going and going at Meghan for so long and it's really horrific to see. Was this really ever about taxpayers' money or can we put this down to the racism that's been alluded to so much when it comes to Meghan and Harry? Oh, I definitely think it's just the existing racism. This this assumption that this public... Ma- You'd think that the public... All, all of the funds belonged to one person. People mm. are taking it so personally. If you read the Instagram posts and threads and it's you know Mr. Piers should I even call him that I mean he just jumps on the bandwagon of anything and he just he likes to push buttons I think sometimes when you've got someone loud Mm -hmm. like that you just let's not bring him into the conversation also there's a pattern with him and Alan Sugar revealed that pattern when he quote retweeted Piers Morgan and said that oh that's because she kept ducking and dodging your calls and demands to come on the GMB or whatever and that's, that was the same thing he's done with other people like Stormzy as well. People that repeatedly ignore him, he goes after even harder because they don't want a part of his circus. They don't want to be part of his whole, his his orbit. Yeah, the biggest and, way to antagonise yeah. a narcissist is to ignore them. Yeah, and I think in, in this in this day and age, like he, he, he just responds in kind by being even louder and just being even more vicious and nasty and... Everyone, everyone from the outside just sees a a fifty plus year old man having a temper tantrum and acting like a child. Yeah, it's just embarrassing for him. It's, I think it's what's really amazing is he put so much energy into this. But sorry, where was he about Prince Andrew? You know, why do we have this partial He's amnesia when Andrew. it comes to you know half of the royal family who are doing all sorts of nonsense and then. When it comes to Megan, it's, it's just, tiring. I just feel like he's trying to stay on trend. You know, you, like, you get lots of incidences like this in the media where the wrong people are reporting on the wrong cultural news and it's just to stay relevant, stay with the numbers, stay in the headlines. Jesse, you've just mentioned Stormzy. I want to talk about Stormzy and Wiley. You got mumsy banged up abroad. You got mumsy ran off the ends. And it's foul because it ain't her fault. She was trying to relax. But her son got caught in a walk. One day there's dons at the door. Wow, this has been a real treat for the Twitter timeline. British rappers Stormzy and Wiley have been engaging in a week-long battle. For people who don't understand what's happened, Jesse, do you mind walking us through and explaining how far this goes and what the main issue is here? The clash between Wiley and Stormzy isn't necessarily something that's been brewing for years and years and years. It's just something that's come about more recently because Stormzy's profile has grown considerably and there's no like kind of tension or anything like that. So you've got Wiley who's widely 
kind of considered the godfather of grime. And then you've got Stormzy, who's kind of the self-proclaimed, but also universally acclaimed king of grime and kind of prince of grime or whatever you want, want to call it. So from a clashing grime sense, it's natural for the successor to challenge the, the current title holder, champion, if you will. It was inevitable for Stormzy and Tawali to have some sort of clash or for Stormzy to have some sort of public clash with someone. It may not have been Wiley. If Dizzy was around today, it probably would have been Dizzy. Could have been Skepta. It could have been anyone of that kind of level. I think the existence of the clash itself is the more important thing, less so than who Stormzy, who went, up, what, yeah, yeah. Who, who Stormzy went up against. Yeah, because I was a bit confused because I thought that Stormzy was nothing but respectful to Wiley. Yeah, and 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 this is the thing, like it's it's all it's all it's all respectful, but because the essence of grime and grime culture comes from a clashing competitive nature, like all of this comes from dancehall culture. So you had sound clashes back and and you still do have sound clashes in dancehall culture to this day. Whilst in that, that's mostly kind of sound systems versus sound systems. So. A, Iconic one in the UK would be Saxon versus Coxon in 1985 in Paddington. That was like two kind of sound sound systems going up against one another. But then when Garage and Jungle came in the 90s, you started having MC-led crews rather than DJ-led crews. So it'd be the MCs going up against each other as well as the DJs as well. So, for example, a famous one would be Heartless versus Pay As You Go in 2001, which a lot of people can remember. So Solid as well versus Heartless um, and Pay As You Go. That's another infamous one. That was that was when you started to see a shift in kind of um, the competitive energy because it became more about the MCs. And then Grime comes about like a few years later and then it becomes a lot younger, a lot darker, a lot more kind of macho led and stuff so it becomes a lot more boastful it becomes a lot more antagonistic but at the end of the day it's still respectful most of these clashes never resulted in violence or anything like that in fact rarely did it ever result in violence so yes yeah, it all comes from a place of respect like in fact if someone's sending for you someone's calling you out and he thinks yeah yeah, yeah, you're yeah, good yeah, yeah they you're, think you're good enough. yeah exactly so all this stuff about oh Stormzy's selling out that's because Wiley believes Stormzy's better than the mainstream. He's far better than what he's putting out. And if anything, if I'm if I'm hearing that, I take that as a sign of, of respect. Wow, mm. that's very interesting. I didn't yeah. think about it that way. Obviously, it's exciting time for everyone. Definitely in music, it is mm. very, very exciting. But I, I do feel like Wiley does have a problem with Stormzy. And basically, he, you know, he's been saying that he's abandoned grime. And he mm. said that there's been this commercialization of it and letting Ed Sheeran profit from that what do you think do you agree with this uh Stormzy is an easy scapegoat for that because he is very representative of like kind of grime just reaching the mainstream in ways that it didn't before in so many different ways obviously Glastonbury he was on Jimmy Fallon um the other day as well so he's representative of where grime is now compared to where grime was in 2004 and I think what Wiley's saying is that he wants it to go back to the energy where people were clashing, were going to radio sets and doing that and kind of doing sh doing shows in like a in a grimy basement somewhere in East London rather than kind of doing a 10,000-seater arena in Wembley or the O2. Um, that doesn't really bring the true essence of grime alive in his eyes. But well, sold out worldwide yeah, tours. Yeah, exactly. But grime is evolving and grime is always going to eventually make the mainstream. And I think... The issue for a lot of artists now is how do they keep that underground energy alive whilst 
trying to make a trying to make a living for themselves. Do you think this has brought back that underground energy though? To some to some extent, yes, but also no, because it's being played out on mainstream platforms. We're not seeing this playing out like before the, the a lot of the clashes that happened 10 years ago you didn't hear about them until weeks or months later because if you're if you've somehow got hold of a dvd or a cassette or something a like that or so, that you or, shared yeah, around yeah. You shared around <laughs> or a burned cd or so, yeah exactly the yeah. sidewinder yeah, tapes yeah. yeah um so you'd often only find out through friends family yeah. like sometimes days weeks months even years later mm. whereas we're seeing this happen we're seeing the clashes and the sends being sent in real time and people are deciding who the winner is as soon as they've heard the track and that hasn't really happened before then so and the commentators mm. are different yeah mm -hmm. so they're not experienced they don't understand what's going on and the commentary is just off you've yeah. got people who know what they're talking about the latecomers to the party mm -hmm. who are reading what the the real you know community who understand what's going mm -hmm. on and then the mainstream mm -hmm. reports of what's going on and then trying to make sense of it all but we do have to think about the economics of this and i always appreciate wiley because wiley yeah. is my generation mm -hmm. wiley's my time really but the money that wiley was pos possibly able to generate ain't going to be nowhere in comparison mm -hmm. to what can be made today and Stormzy's yeah. making that money and i think we have to respect what Stormzy has been able to do, but also appreciate how that there's a sensitivity there mm -hmm. where, you know, all that hard work and effort, where the full rewards for it. And I don't think that Wiley's basically saying, oh, you know, I need to be paid for what I've yeah. been able to do. But I think that this is a deep rooted issue with the media today, with music, with sports, with certain legends, minority people, black people coming up. You know, today the black pound, you know, is being spoken yeah. about in the same way that the pink pound's being spoken about. But it wasn't before because there wasn't, people weren't, people yeah. were getting ripped off mm -hmm. left, right and centre. So if you haven't, got any um, form of exchange uh, uh, that appreciates what you're doing you then want to hold on to whatever it is mm. that you've got and you know that's that's yours that's all you've got you ain't got the money you got yeah. the you got the product do you think it's because Wiley potentially feels like the craft is not being understood because it's being watered down so much by the masses the core kind of traditional grime culture is very much a lot of it if for some people can't coexist with the mainstream so all the kind of going to radio um doing clashes and stuff like that that's like meant to be kind of your bread and butter as your as an mc as you grow you radio one and all of these various kind of mainstream platforms can't provide can't provide that environment for you to actually hone your skills and as an mc so wiley feels that okay has stormzy done enough work to hone them hone himself as a top tier MC could he go against gets P money DWE in a clash and come out like kind of still standing and that, I think that's the question that he's asking as well I think is is the route into grime so much easier now because a label can sign you off one song whereas 10 years ago you had to like the MCs were touring Watford Sheffield Cardiff Leeds for 10 years before they even got signed and even now like they're getting offers and they're turning them down because it's like, well, I've been doing this for 10, 15 years independently and I'm still here. So why would I take your money? Whereas now it's like for younger people, it's like, well, if a label's offering me this amount of money, I might as well go with them instead of trying to build up an audience organically by myself. So yeah, I think that's the main issue that Wiley has. And it's, a, it's an understandable issue because 
grime as um, as he understands it can't really exist in the mainstream so then we're starting to see okay maybe there are two aspects of grime culture that now exist in the uk there's mainstream grime culture and there's underground grime culture and i think stormzy probably represents the more mainstream aspect of it while still trying to embrace the underground elements we mentioned the lack of understanding the culture and how understanding the history of grime and understanding mm. the history of this particular genre of music. I've seen a lot of papers report, oh my gosh, wow, they've, they're coming for each other's mums and dads and this is so awful. Why is this happening? This should be off limits. What do you have to say about that? I think a lot of people who aren't well-versed in grime culture or the kind of culture around grime, they're looking at this beef through an American hip-hop rap lens of what beef is so they're seeing Stormzy and Wiley going at each other and they're thinking oh Tupac and Biggie again or kind of Drake and Meek Mill when it's actually no this is nothing like that there's no kind of animosity between the two it's simply just a trading of bars basically trying to decide who is not going to be the the person to take grime into the next decade grime is not like we're in 2020 so grime is officially 20 years old now Wiley led the first 10 years. You could say Stormzy was a guy to kind of take things forward in this decade. For some people, this battle is to see who, who is going to take Grime into the next decade. But if you don't understand that, if you don't, if you don't follow Grime f- from a very young age or just understand where it comes from... You'd think from, that Stormzy created it a few years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. And you'd think when that... When he dropped Shut yeah, Up. Yeah, exactly. And you'd think that Wiley antagonising um, Stormzy was just Wiley doing it for attention. Or, or being an old man. Or being an old man. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, he's doing it for attention. But it's, 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 it's the necessary attention that exists in Grime. You've got to call people out. You've got to send for people. Um, and it didn't even... This whole thing didn't even start with Wiley and Stormzy. It was, it was Doc Rotten that started it all. Yeah, I mean, um, that was a madness. Yeah, um... And and that's the thing, like his his dubs are still out there. And they're still kind of like kind of hitting hitting the right spots as well. And this is like kind of what everyone wanted to see for a long time. Because the last time it's happened at this scale was Chip and Bugsy and Chip and Young in, in 2015. And that was the first kind of real social media clash because everyone kind of watching real wa- time. Watching in real time and deciding in real time who the winner was. But I think this is the one that everyone's been waiting for. It's basically two of the um, champions of grime at the moment. And you kind of, like, it's, it's part of the entertainment mm-hmm. part of it. For those who are used to that, you know, used to grime, same with Garage, mm. you wanted to know what the next retort was and, and you wanted to know mm. all the lyrics and you wanted to go hard and, yeah. you know, so. It, it's, it's sport at the end of the day. Yeah, it's, absolutely. It, it, like, in any way you see, like, kind of boxes trade, not only just trade words with each other before pre-fight, but trade blows. This is exactly what it is. You're... You're bringing your best bars, you're bringing your best disses and all of that to the stage and all the work that you're doing in studios is like training and all of that. And then the clash is like the actual battle. It's like the World Cup of of grime in a way. So this is like the Champions League final of grime. Wow. In, in some ways, it's so Wiley, versus, Wiley versus Stormzy. Who's going who's gonna to come out on top? That's essentially what it is. And I think the media are taking it in one way, partly because it's racialized as well. If it was kind of two white MCs, it probably wouldn't, it probably wouldn't have the same kind of attention that kind of Wiley and Stormzy's getting, but who knows. Do you think more high-profile artists will now come out and, you know, clash with each other? Do you think this is like a resurgence of the roots of grime? I hope so. I really do hope so. I think after the Chip and Bugsy um, clash in 2015, that actually really helped Bugsy's career. Because he's now acting and he's doing a lot bigger things in music. And that's just partly because 
he sent for someone like Chip, and Chip obviously is a big name in grime, and that did wonders for him. So it, it like even if you lose a clash, it's mutually beneficial. Even if Wiley does end up losing this clash, it means that he remains a prominent name in grime. Whilst like kind of newer, younger fans may be like, oh, who's Wiley? Never heard of him. Now they know who he is. Now they can confidently say, oh yeah, he's the godfather of grime. Before this clash, everyone was asking, oh, who, who is Wiley? If you're of a certain age. And I think it's important that you kind of keep that intergenerational aspect of grime alive because grime now has generations, whereas before it didn't. So it's important to recognise who kind of came before. And I think that's essentially what the good thing about this this clash it is, and it's important to keep the energy alive, mm-hmm. you know, and whoever loses, you know, is always going to come out better anyway because they're going to have sharpened their skills. Everyone's mm. going to get more creative, yeah. get more inspiration. I think it's also going to inspire, you know, new talent to come up and go, you know what, I can see what these two legends are doing. I'm going to, I'm, I'm aiming further than they are. I'm reaching higher. It's, it's, it's exciting. Mm. And what did you think of Peter Andre trying to get involved to calm things down? <laughs> I, I actually think it was um I think it was a PR stunt just to boost boost the profile of the whole of the whole um of the whole clash. Why like if it's already gone mainstream, why not even just take it even further and make it more outrageous <laughs> by bringing in the, the most random name? But no, it's not random because I swear, I'm sure Peter Andre was listening to Grime and Garage yeah, yeah, and all of was. that. It's just was, that yeah. suddenly now we know. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's brilliant. And that, and that's the thing. I think I think a lot of people were kind of secretly listening to Grime and Garage back in the day. And it's only now that people can confidently say that, oh yeah, I love Grime, I love Garage. I was listening to Wiley back in 2003, but they couldn't say that because it was like, what's that? Um, But now everyone could put a name to it. Yeah. So if Wiley's so against Grime going mainstream, what did he have to say about DWE doing that IKEA advert? That's a a good question. Um... I think for DWE, like he would probably get a pass from Wiley because most of his, for most of his career since the 90s, DWE has mostly been on the live circuit and mostly done kind of clashes and sets. So, in fact, he only released his debut album in 2018. Wow. Um, so, yeah, you can see the, the amount of work that he's been putting in, in the underground. People are like, actually, no, he deserves to just have this one moment of like, let me just collect my, my coins in my bag and kind of from the most random brand I could think of, which is Ikea and, and go where Stormzy necessarily hasn't gone through that, that process. And also Wiley's kind of um, had his own kind of relationship with the mainstream as well. We've obviously wearing my Rolex as well in 2007, 2008. And clearly that, that wasn't right for him. So yeah, I think it, I think it for him is more about, okay, calling out the biggest name in grime at the moment and seeing if, he lives up to the title of King of Grime. And that's essentially what it was. It was challenging Stormzy to live up to his name that he's kind of put on himself. Like LeBron James, who called himself the chosen one before he entered the, the NBA. Everyone then started challenging him to win NBA titles. And he's eventually done that. But that's what that's the problem when, when you kind of self-proclaim yourself to be something. You have to live up to that. Thank you so much both for coming on today. It was such a pleasure to talk to you and I've learned so much. Where can we find you on social media? I'm at Claire Clossy on everything. C-L-A-I-R-E-C-L-O-T-T-E-Y. I'm at Marvin's Corridor on everything as well. So Instagram, Twitter. Thank you so much. This has been Your Broccoli Weekly. I've been your host, Diora. You can find me on Twitter at The Diora. 
Credits of the clips used and information can be found on our website, www.yourbroccoliweekly.com. You can join the conversation and share your views using the hashtag YourBroccoliWeekly. If you liked what you heard, why not give us a rating and review on your favorite podcast app? And if you loved what you heard, tell your friends. Your Broccoli Weekly is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, Pocket Casts, and all your favorite apps. Your Broccoli Weekly is produced by Cass Denton. This is a Broccoli production.